Hello, and welcome to the Reader's Quadrant, an Empyrean podcast. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Samantha. We are doing a chapter-by-chapter reread of Fourth Wing, the first book in the Empyrean series written by Rebecca Yeros. I'd like to start off today with a slight correction from last time. I said that the names of the dragons were Celtic, but they are actually Gallic. So my apologies to all speakers of the Gallic language for both my mistake and our inevitable mispronunciations. We will do our best, but we are not perfect. Yes. So that takes us into this week's battle report, which is a segment where we will be discussing any news that we have seen regarding Rebecca Yaros and the Empyrean series throughout the week. Um, So the first bit of news we want to touch on is the announcement of the Amazon series. How are you feeling about that, Samantha? I'm excited for it. I mean, I've seen a couple other shows Amazon's done. It's not like they don't have the money to do it justice because they're Amazon. So um, I'm hopefully doing a good job. I haven't read the book for Good Omens, but I've watched the show for Good Omens, and that show was very well done. I just get so nervous when series get made of books that are not complete. Mm, I guess mm-hmm. it's the Game of Thrones syndrome. Yeah, because, that's fair. Because when you have a complete book series, you can do a lot of things in foreshadowing and subtext in the TV series, but we won't be getting that because we don't know we don't know what she's foreshadowing so Mm -hmm. it concerns me too because also you don't know complete character arc i think it's hard to cast that character so we'll see well i mean i feel better about it going to amazon than i would with it going to like netflix or something mm -hmm. but yeah i'm excited but cautious yeah i mean I think for the arcs, it depends on how involved Rebecca wants to be. Because, I mean, I'm assuming that she has at least some foreknowledge of where these arcs are going to go and such. I know. And you would hope that she she would be, like, an executive producer. I think she is. Or something. I believe she is. And um, I know when they did the Harry Potter movies, the author for those um, and helped with the actor, she gave them some foreknowledge of what was to come so that they Mm -hmm. could act their characters correctly like um we know that happened with alan rickman yes sorry i just had a blank in his name for a second there um (gasps) but yes like we know that he was told what was going on behind the scenes in snape's head so that he could act it more appropriately um i think with the acting too i think it kind of depends if they're going to do live action or animated like I know there's a big push for the Akatar show for it to be animated. I you know, I, I just don't see that happening. As much as minds have shifted towards um animated um media being more acceptable for an adult audience um to consume because like why was that ever a stigma? Because mm-hmm. it, I don't I've never understood that. Yeah. But I think to appeal more to the mainstream, both of these series have to be live action. Yeah, I just, I think if it was animated, it would cause, it would luff, ruffle less feathers with people because everybody has like an idea of what they should look like in their head or based on like yeah. the book description and nobody is ever going to exactly match the book description or it could be like either or like, have you ever seen H. John Benjamin? That dude does not look like Archer. 
and <laughs> you just know you just know that there's going to be people who are going to be so mad when they cast Zayden as a person of color even though Rebecca Yaros has stated multiple times that mm-hmm. that 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 is what he is right but yeah I agree you you can't you can never get casting right people are always going to be mad exactly mm-hmm. and that's for and plus sometimes with some like the magic and stuff sometimes that can look real goofy in live action just because like there's gonna be so much cgi involved like even more so than the akatar or like the new harry potter series that's coming out because mm-hmm. the focus on in this series is on dragons so and yep. you cannot have an episode nope without dragons nope <laughs> So this is also my concern with it going to like network television rather than um, being like a movie series or something of the sort where you'd have the kind of budget to do that type of technology well. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, although I personally would rather have it be a series because if you did it as a movie, so much is going to get cut. It's just not gonna, like like. The last couple of Harry Potter movies were so they cut so much, especially in the sixth one and the fifth it's one. Just, honestly, it's just pros and cons to each, right? Because movies have the budget, but t- TV has the length. Exactly. <laughs> so it's going to be hard to reconcile the two, I think. But obviously, I'm excited to see um, the story play out in a new medium and mm-hmm. like clearly this won't be happening for a few years so we'll probably get a few more a few more books in there at the very least yeah and i think it'll be kind of nice to see some scenes that obviously like in terms of the book were significant but the way they read on the page it doesn't always come across that way i feel like sometimes like um later on when she's scaling the wall or the cliff you know uh for the gauntlet Mm -hmm. and like you just that's hard to visualize sometimes based on a description just how sheer that is or like the different obstacles and everything that they have to do we'll talk about it see it on wipeout yeah okay literally that is literally (laughs) what i was just going to say like i picture it as like a stone version of wipeout or uh mxe most extreme elimination back in the day or american ninja warrior oh it's probably yeah i mean that a more serious version yeah it's like america it's like ninja warrior like when they get to the end and they have to like climb up that thing with like their spider oh, arms yeah and yeah the spider oh man all the stuff they do on that show which my my two-year-old loves watching it by the way is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> a future american ninja warrior perhaps sometimes i think so he's already like he can put his arm on the couch and the ottoman and suspend himself jeez and he's two. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if that's normal for two-year-olds, but it feels strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, anyway. So yeah, there's, there's the series. And then there was uh, Rebecca Yaros's interview regarding pronunciation. Mm-hmm. And so Samantha and I have mixed feelings about that video because obviously the author has come up with her own pronunciation. But there's several creators, um, Scottish, Gaelic creators mm-hmm. um from the that's the language from which the author has taken the names and taken the inspiration for a lot of the um names and the places of the war college of the country of the people and of especially the dragons these creators have come out and said no that's not how these words are actually pronounced and they don't like the fact that the author has taken 
their language, which mm-hmm. is a minority language, um, and kind of used it and pronounced these words in her own way. So we are going to try our best to stick to the Scottish Gaelic pronunciations. Yes. Um, and then obviously any words that Rebecca Yaros has created herself, we will go with her right. pronunciation yeah. on those. But for the most part, we're going to try and stick to Scottish Gaelic. And so the video that we're using as a guide here um, was from a creator on TikTok. And I'll probably say this incorrectly, but I'm trying because it is Scottish Gaelic. Muran. M-U-I-R-E-A-N-N. She's mm-hmm. a Scottish Gaelic creator and she has multiple video series on how to pronounce um, the names in these books and uh, the meanings of them. So I will put a link to her TikTok account in the show notes for this episode if you want to go check her out. She's a great resource. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's how we will be proceeding with pronunciation. Yes. And we will also do our best to not make it sound like we're making fun of it like sometimes if you're trying to pronounce like especially with italian italian words a lot of times it can sound like you're making fun of it and so we definitely we're not making fun of it we're just really trying to do the original pronunciations yes and if uh we are saying something wrong and you know we are saying something wrong please let us know and then we will go forward to correct that in future episodes Yes, as we said in our last episode, I'm American, Kelsey's Canadian. We do not have experience with the Gaelic language at all. Um, to be frank, we did not even really know it was pronounced Gaelic. We, I at least thought it was pronounced Gaelic, which is how I've always heard it pronounced. So actually it was from Warren's video where I learned it was pronounced Gaelic. Yes, because Scottish Gaelic and then Irish Gaelic. Two completely different things. I had no idea. Nope. So we're learning already. (laughs) And so we hope we have educated all of you as well. So please um, check her out. She's got great videos. And um, I hope she keeps up the good work. And who knows? Maybe we'll get her on one day. That would be amazing. That's the dream. Yes. So hopefully um, maybe Rebecca Yaros will see some of that discourse and take it into account going forwards yeah or any other creators um authors that use those types of minority languages without fully understanding the language or the history behind the language because all languages have history behind them it's not just pronouncing words like there's a lot more to it yes and on that happy note uh we'll 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 get into the actual chapter now exciting yay so, um, I'm going to do my best. I am going to start off here. Um, so the chapter kind of starts off with a, um, like a preface, and as we'll call it, where it states the following text has been faithfully transcribed from Navarian into the modern language by Jacinia Neilwart, curator of the Scribe Quadrant at Basquiat War College. All events are true and names have been preserved to honor the courage of those fallen. May their souls be committed to Malik. And the only reason I read that is because it's only three sentences. So that's why you get the whole thing, guys. Um, (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack in those three sentences, though. Um, To start off with, my first thought when I first read that was, okay, so it's going from Navarian into the modern language. Mm -hmm. When did that switch happen? 
what is the modern language? As we know, there are two countries at war primarily on this continent. So is the modern language like some like coming together, like to emerging of their two languages? Is it some completely new language? Um, there is, oh, what was it called now? It just This just came to my head. Um, there was a language that was tried to be created um, to be like a universal language um, a couple of years ago. Um, I think it's called Esperanto. That's what it was called. Um, yeah, it didn't take, but it was, um, you know, a totally made up language that was meant to be like universal language. Like you would all speak your first language. So like for me and Kelsey, that would be English. But then you would also have Esperanto as your language to communicate if you're in other countries. You know, that honestly, that makes a lot of sense because as of right now, I think the language of politics around the world is currently English. It used to be French. Mm-hmm. And before that, it was, I want to say Latin. Mm-hmm. But this, that would level the playing field. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Because so- every, everyone would have to learn a second language and us English speakers would just not have to expect people to cater to us. <laughs> It'd be really hard for a lot of English speakers just because they're just so used to everyone else. Especially a lot of Americans, I feel, would be like, why do I have to learn another language? But that's besides the fact. I also, I find the use of the word modern language interesting because we know Jacinia is Violet's friend. Mm-hmm. So this can't have been, like, this can't be super far away from when, right. where we currently are in the story. So, like, how modern is modern? Right. Yeah. It also says that Jocinia is the curator of the scribe quadrant. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure where that position falls in the hierarchy. Um, to me, that sounds higher, but I... It, uh, to me, it, was, it seems similar to like Lilith, like Violet's mom. Because cur- curator, curator would mean that you can decide what books and pieces of art are in the archives i i would that's how i take it to mean so she can really decide what history is being told so anyway um moving on from that i did try to look up the meanings for jacinia's names because all names have meaning and fantasy authors are well known to choose names with meaning as in the meaning of their name has it tells you something about that character Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, of course, not all of these names. I was able, we were able to find direct equivalents um, in real time life, as we call it sometimes. Um, so we will both be when we get to names. We'll just have to find our closest approximation. But mm-hmm. for Jacinia, the closest I could find was an Arabic name called Jacinia, which means flower. And then her last name, Neil, is Irish for champion or passionate. And then wart is a bump on your skin, just like you would think. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure what to make of that. <laughs> it's quite quite the dichotomy, flower wart. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, there's just so many ways that I feel like that could go. Um, like, generally warts are removed. So if she's a champion, you know, of something, then... Maybe she's a champion that they want to remove. Names, as we it said, are have been preserved. So theoretically, these people are who 
this book says they are. Um, I do. I do have a note on Basquiat. Yes. College. So in Gaelic, Bas means death, and then Skiath means wing. So interesting to note there. Death wing college. Which there's a lot of death and a lot of wings. So it it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to say too, I should have said this sooner, um, the fact that this text has been transcribed also kind of sets us up that we have an unreliable narrator. And that's something that we will need to keep in mind throughout the rest of this book. And frankly, any first person book is going to be an unreliable narrator to start with. But this is a first person book from an account through another person. So we actually have two layers here of unreliable narrators. Through what? Through a different language, too. Yes. So... Which you, sometimes where things are lost in translation, so there's oh, yes. levels, layers upon layers here. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch an anime, put on the uh, original Japanese subtitles, like the English translation of the original, what they do there. There are differences sometimes significant sometimes not i have a couple examples off the top of my head but we don't need those right now but the, it does happen and then the last sentence is may their souls be connected to mal con- commended to malik so we get right off the bat too that they do have a religion of some sort um and that malik is presumably some sort of death god or god of the underworld or the afterlife Something like that, since they want their souls to go to him. Um, Malik, the closest I could find, is Arabic for king. Um, However, they pronounce it Malik, which I did not know before. And I've heard Malik as a name before. So so have I. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Apparently, in Polish, Czech, and Slovenian, it's a diminutive for small, which I thought was kind of funny. That's actually really funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only reason I put it. It has probably no relevance to this whatsoever, but it's just kind of funny. Um, our next page is like a map of the college. Um, really, the only thing we need to really know for that is the writers are kind of off in their own little world, and then everybody else is together. Mm-hmm. That's really the main things we need to know about the college right now. Moving on. The quote of the <laughs> book, if not the series. A dragon without its rider is a tragedy. A rider without their dragon is dead. You will see that quote everywhere you see this book, pretty much. <laughs> uh, now, I have a question for you. Yes. Did you take that literally the first time you read the book? No. Me neither. The only way I took it literally was meaning that they would be so screwed if their dragon died that they were going to be dead like soon after just because of whatever circumstance it was that killed their dragon i did not think it was going to be how we eventually see it how about you what did you think yeah i thought it was just hyperbole yeah like oh dragons are so important that like if yours dies then you're you're done you're out like yeah you're on your own kind of thing Mm -hmm. but not not that your bond is so strong you will quite literally die yeah that was R.I.P. Liam. Pour one out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is a good time to mention that this is not a spoiler-free podcast. Yes. (laughs) We mentioned it on our last episode. Yeah. 
which it should also be noted that this quote is Article 1, Section 1 of the Dragon Riders Codex. This is to me the equivalent of the first commandment in Christianity. Like this is the most important thing that you need to know, which is interesting. It is interesting because like the existence of the codex implies existence of rules and everything in the rider's quadrant, which like isn't isn't really the case once we actually yeah. get in there. There are like very few rules. But I think since we're also seeing this book through Violet's eyes, starting off each chapter with some kind of quote about what you should and shouldn't do is very fitting because she is very, I will read everything, I will absorb all the knowledge, Mm -hmm. and that is how I will shape my worldview and shape my life. Yeah, and I feel like, too, like, they do follow what few rules they have, for the most part. Because I remember, I think they mentioned somewhere the Codex is pretty small compared to what the other mm. quadrants have the other quadrants it sound like have a lot more rules whereas the yeah, writers it's, pre- it's like very like just wear black and we like, don't care don't kill anyone don't kill anyone while, while they're sleeping which they don't even follow that rule no either. don't kill anyone in your wing yeah. you know it's just like basic things which which is which is funny though Samantha, when you think about it when you say that this sounds like uh, the first commandment of the Bible, mm-hmm. and then the other rules in the in the writer's codex aren't don't kill. It's just don't kill in these certain ways. Yeah. <laughs> don't kill these specific kill. people. Everyone yeah. else, fair game. Go for it. <laughs> it's encouraged, actually. It really is. Why do you think they fight for daggers? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we start out the chapter with conscription day. I mean, the very first sentence is conscription day is always the deadliest, deadliest, which, uh, kind of sets your tone here. Um, we kind of, we don't know Violet's name yet. We're just kind of in her head. Um, and she mentions going to General Sorengale's office. She does not say my mother's office. She says General Sorengale. Which is pretty indicative of their relationship at this point. That's the exact word I was going to use as well. She does not see her as her mother. No, that does not come for a while, actually. Um, And we also learned that she has only been training for six months of intense physical training. Which (laughs) she says has given her the ability to barely climb six flights of stairs with a 30-pound pack. Yeah, fair. (laughs) I mean, six flights is a lot. I don't even know if I could do that without a pack yeah like that. even just like carrying my purse like i would i would definitely still be out of breath and i know that for a fact um and then she has what i think is the quote of the book in my opinion violet notes i'm so fucked <laughs> which to me i just when i read that i just laughed so hard <laughs> so we've all had that feeling just in yeah. Anything. We've all had this feeling just like, oh, I'm so fucked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we cuss too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if you've read this book, you should expect it, honestly. Yes. They cuss a lot. So we learned that you're 20 years old when you're conscripted. We also learned that we are in Navarre, which Navarre is a Spanish for planes which i thought was interesting because it's noted that the country itself in fourth wing at least is very mountainous yes so like yeah once again the dichotomy there Mm -hmm. interesting yeah 
And also the last name Sorengale, um, the meaning of that, that is kind of two words. So we have Soren is Danish for stern, strict, or severe, which describes Lilith to a T at this point. Mm, yep. um, <laughs> and then Gale, with this spelling, literally means joy in Hebrew. So that's kind of a fun uh, oxymoron going on there. Yep. Um, but there's also the homonym Gale, G-A-L-E, for, you know, wind. So... Take that as you will. So it could mean, you know, like with the dragons. And um, obviously Lilith's own signet as well. Yes, and we discussed in the first episode, but I think it's worth repeating here, the meaning of Lilith's first name. Yes. She's theorized to be the first wife of Adam and supposedly supposedly the primordial she-demon. Banished from the Garden of Eden. So she's just a... Uh, figure of darkness and evil the meaning of the name not saying necessarily that violet mother is that but her first name combined with the last name is definitely something to think about mm-hmm. and frankly her having that name could be a giant red herring if you've listened to the first episode i am inclined to believe oh okay one thing another thing to note here while we're recording this episode is that it is november 5th so we have not read Iron Flame. No, so we have not. Things that we say, things that we say here, could be completely wrong. Yes, that's good. Yeah, we definitely need to note that. Um, we are very excited to read Iron Flame, but we do not know anything that happens beyond what was released, like the little no. snippets. And we also haven't read any of the fourth wing bonus chapters from the holiday edition either. No, very so, looking forward to that too. If we say anything here that contradicts what happens in Iron Flame, just know that. At this point in time, we have none of that information. Okay. So moving on, we learned that Navarre is at war with a kingdom called Poromiel, or Poromiel, as I say it. I could not find the exact meaning of that. However, Poriel um, is Hebrew for fruit of God, and then Miel is Spanish for honey. Um, so... It makes it kind of sound like it's kind of a paradise in a way if you put those together. It's interesting because it's Garden of Eden-esque. And we mm-hmm. just discussed how Lilith was expelled from the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a lot of Christian tones with uh, yep. the setup. Biblical, biblical imagery for sure. Yeah. Then we... As we get up there, Violet gets near the door and she hears someone yelling. And recognizes the voice as her sister, Mira. So Mira, that is a real name. Uh, there is currently an actress on dance. Oh, I think she, I think she just got eliminated, actually. But she unfortunately got eliminated. Yeah, but there is an actress whose name is Mira. She was recently on Dancing with the Stars, which Kelsey and I both enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> the name Mira is Latin. It means look or admirable. Um, so take that as you will. We don't know a whole lot about it. I will note I am currently using babynames.com for this. And this is people who like the name Mira also like Violet and Liam. That has to be fourth, <laughs> so- fourth wing induced searches. <laughs> Like that, there's there's no way that the, these are otherwise connected. 
I will note that another definition I found for Mira was also female ruler. So I like that too. It fits. It does. Uh, Mira is described as being 26 years old. She has golden brown hair cut short like their mother's. I'm not quite sure what cut short means. I don't know if that means like a shoulder cut or if it means like a stereotypical boy cut, you know? I think think it means pixie cut because later on, uh, Mira says she she wishes Violet cut her hair because then people wouldn't be able to grab it. And to me, that has to mean pixie cut. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it must be a pixie cut. Um, And she's also described as being tall. So she's kind of the complete opposite of Violet. In a I feel way. like I feel like I feel like to Violet, everyone is tall. So Fair. We really need to see Mira in relation to Zayden to get like a yeah accurate ratio. Because we have an exact height for Zayden, do we not? Six foot four, just over six four, I think. That's tall. Two. One of the two. And so we meet Mira. Mira is obviously a person who. Does not have any problems sharing her opinions. Um, She's literally yelling at, to be fair, her mother. But at the same time, also essentially her commander-in-chief in in a way. She's yelling at her, she's yelling at her boss, her general. Which is, I feel like even if it wasn't her mother, she would still be yelling at her, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, she definitely has a I don't give a fuck type of attitude. She also does not believe in Violet whatsoever, which is very sad. It's so sad. She keeps saying things like she doesn't stand a chance. She's going to, I'm going to paraphrase now, but she's basically saying she's going to die out there. She's going to get her ass beat. Like she's not going to be able to do it. She's too short. She can't ride a dragon, all that kind of stuff, which is just sad. And to be frank, Mira is the person that Violet looks up to the most Mm-hmm. and whose opinion she values the most and so yet hearing hearing these thoughts that i'm sure violet is having herself echoed by mira must mm-hmm. just be reinforcing everything that she is thinking herself and that cannot be good for the ego yeah well and then violet fights back yes like she will on the next like page or two right now she's just kind of sad she says she's here. Mira's here to see to say her goodbyes. Like she, Violet thinks she's gonna die at this point, but her mother still is very firm in her decision. Um, is also here that we learn her name is Violet. Um, Violet is described as being twenty years old. She has brown hair that turns metallic silver, starting at her shoulder. She has pale skin. And light hazel eyes with shades of blues and ambers, but she also says it never really stays in any one color. It's she I think she says it's indecisive, her eye color. She's so not like other girls. No. (laughs) Um she's short and she has size seven feet. Which for me is small. Um I wear like a size nine or ten depending on the brand because no shoe shoe sizes are not standardized, which is great. Um my mother wears a size seven. She's listening. Hi. It, um. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty small, but I feel like for her height, it might actually be big. She's only around five feet tall and what, like a hundred pounds? True. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it could be. However, I feel like with size seven feet, 
she wouldn't be much taller. No. So maybe it's right on par for her size. Yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, my mother has size seven feet. She is five foot four and a half. Yes, I put that half in there for you. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and Violet, you says she's five foot. So it's not that much taller. Violet is also confirmed by the author Rebecca Yeros to have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome which I hope I pronounced correctly. Um, That is a disorder that makes your connective tissue weaker. So it commonly affects your skin and your joints. That's why she's always talking about her joints and how they pop out. And she basically has to get them reset all the time. And Um, I think Rebecca herself has this. I think she does. As well. And it's, there's no cure for it in real-time life. It can just be managed. So, and then moving on, Violet's name is actually, it's a flower. It's a purplish flower. Um, I think most of us are familiar with the color violet. It is a shade of purple that kind of gears more towards, in my view, the blue part of purple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rather than the red part of purple. If that makes yes. sense. <laughs> less ma- less magenta, more indigo. Um, the flower itself, because I wanted to know if all flowers have been used as symbols for something. Yeah. So the violet is sim- usually a symbol for modesty, faithfulness, everlasting love, innocence, and remembrance. Hmm. I don't know that I think any of those fit her. Not really. Maybe faithfulness. Faithfulness to what, though, I guess is the question. Herself. Mm, Okay, that's fair. Yes. Honestly, she always stays true to herself. Like, even when she gets forced into doing the sparring, she does it her way. This This is so true. I also love that her name is a color. As much as it is a flower, it's also a color, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And her appearance is so associated with a lack of color. She's pale. The end of her hair have no color. And so the fact that she has a name that is vibrant Mm -hmm. and colorful, it's just another one of those opposites that we're going to see so often throughout this. She's like as close to being albino without actually being albino as you can. Yeah. (laughs) In a way. (laughs) And also at this point is where we kind of learn that General Swan Girl is their mother, and Violet finally refers to her as mom. It took a while, honestly. I mean, I know we're only on page two, but there was a lot kind of that happened there, and so it just took that mind shift of actually seeing her to think of her as mom, I think, is what did it. So it's not until she's in the room that she calls her mom. Or maybe seeing Mira in there as well. Sister, maybe. mother. Uh, so, and then... Their mother also refers to Mira as Lieutenant Sorengale. So, not the best relationship there either. I mean, she's standing there yelling at her, though, so... (laughs) Can't blame her. Yeah. We kind of get some feeling... We get some feeling from her mother, though, because grief flashes through her eyes when she looks at Violet. And she looks at... She notices, you know, she's all pale, pale skin, pale eyes, pale hair. Um... The fever took all her coloring, and she, when she thinks of her deceased husband, you, Violet notes grief flashes through her eyes. So she's in a lot of pain. She still is in pain from her husband dying. And I think it's noted 
Yeah, here, um, if we go down a paragraph or two, we learn that it's been a year, a little more than a year since her dad died. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but her mom was, it's no, when her dad was alive, her mother was softer and kinder for her family. So she's just in a lot of pain since her dad, her husband died. Yeah. I just, I want to go back to that line. It's like that fever stole your coloring along with your strength. I know we discussed this Mm -hmm. in the first episode, but I think it's worth mentioning again that there is a theory that this fever was brought Mm -hmm. on by something to do with the venom because at the end of the book, when they're fighting the venom, it's noted that all the color leaches out of nature around them when they're on the ground. And something similar here is happening to Violet. Mm -hmm. Complete lack of color. So it's just another hint that points towards Violet's mother knowing more than she lets on and being involved more than she lets on for sure. Yeah. And it's also, I don't know how much we can put stock in this, but at least in real time life, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is a genetic mutation, which maybe could have been caused by a venom attack. This is true. Also, um, just going back a little further up on the yep. top of page three, I want to note that this is the first time we have mention of the prohibited power of mind reading. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, so, I did skip over that. So the fact that we're getting that on page three mm-hmm. just is just, I think, something to point out because I think that is going to play a big part. I don't believe that they automatically kill every single person that has this ability. Yeah. I, I think it's going to come into play later on down the line especially since it's not completely prohibited like dane has dane has mind reading of this and imogen has another version of this with what she can erase from people's yeah it's more like it's more like they just don't want their own secrets yeah well they don't want like thoughts being read as they're occurring like they, yeah, they don't in want real, that in like, real time. Yeah, they don't want them like live streamed essentially. Yeah. Like with Dane, he's looking at people's memories. So that's technically oh. different. I read something though about Dane that you might find interesting because I found it interesting about how in the beginning of the book, um, when he touches someone, like he's still trying to come to terms with how to utilize his signet and his power so he can only see like recent memories mm-hmm. which is why when um Violet gets attacked he like goes to reach for her face because he, like he wants to see it but the more he learns to master that the further down the line the farther back he can see which mm-hmm. i thought was like interesting because violet certainly learns to master her powers more and more as it goes on so why mm-hmm. wouldn't he yeah so how far how far back can he go did you have anything else from this page? Um, no. Oh, just that neither Violet... Well, it's not surprising, I guess, that Violet doesn't say it, but uh, General Soringale is always like, I told him not to keep you there. I said this to him. Like, she she never really refers to her husband, like, as her husband. And in reference to her daughters saying, oh, you're a Soringale, you're a Soringale. Obviously, you should be a writer. Like... But that's that. I'm assuming that wasn't their father's name. Well, that's also if we're assuming this is a patriarchal society. Oh, this is true. If this it's a the... matriarchal, then it would be her last name passed down, theoretically. Interesting. Interesting. 
and Rebecca Yaros, a lot of this is very feminist, this mm-hmm. book. So I could see that happening. It's just, just throwing it out there. That's a possibility. She definitely places more weight on her own lineage being mm-hmm. passed down that, than her husband's. Yeah, because she says, my children. Yeah, you're a yellow. You'll obviously be a writer. One thing that uh, Kelsey and I kind of mentioned privately elsewhere, um, Violet says, I am the daughter of a scribe. Me referring to her father. And then Lilith says, you're the daughter of a writer. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know. It, I mean, I like to think that her dad is her dad, but I, I understand maybe it. she was just kind of maybe trying to make a point of like, you're also the daughter of a writer. But the way she phrases it, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, the way she phrases it makes it sound like Violet's father it was also a writer. Like, you are the daughter of a writer. Like, that doesn't sound like she's talking about herself. At least no. To- but we do learn, oh, I don't, did we already pass that part? We do learn that they came to Basquiat, um, because their Lilith was going to be an instructor, and then their, her father, Violet's father, Lilith's husband, I'm just going to call him Mr. Sorengale, just to make it easier. <laughs> Mr. Sorengale <laughs> um, was in the scribe quadrant. Like, we, it, it is known. So it is known. It is known. So it's just kind of, it's just weird. It is definitely, I don't know, just the way that Lilith talks about um, Mr. Sorengale and then the way that Violet talks about her dad. I think there's something there because there's, there's a disconnect between the way those two are described. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Moving on. That is also where she says, I will not watch one of my italicized children enter the scribe quadrant violet Mm -hmm. and this is also where a lot of people ourselves included kind of learn that or not learn where we think that lilith knows more than what she's saying because she tells violet and if you dare walk into the tunnel toward the scribe quadrant today i will rip you out by that ridiculous braid and put you on the parapet myself now, I know Violet takes this to mean that she is very serious about her joining the writers. However, there is a theory out there, which at least I believe, and I think Kelsey also believes, the scribes know a lot more than what they're telling people, and they have been covering things up. Meaning yeah. Violet's dad probably knew what was happening, and Lilith doesn't want Violet to get into that. Or she knows she would be even in more danger in the scribe quadrant, maybe. I would not be at all surprised if by the end of this, the scribes are the bad guys. Oh, 100%. They have so much power. And I think there's a lot of symbolism in that right now. The people who decide what we can and can't read really decide Mm -hmm. the the future. Because you can decide what the kids read and therefore you can really shape the past. Because you can rewrite history. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit to what we just said about her dad maybe not being her dad. Because when Lilith looks at Violet, she talks about Mr. Sorengale in a way that's loving and grief-filled. But when she talks about him to Mira, she's very hard. Like, Mira says, Dad wouldn't want this. And Lilith says, I loved your father, but he's dead. I doubt he wants much these days. Tamira specifically, I loved your father. Does she say that to Violet? Your father. I think she 
does at some point here. But I could be wrong. Maybe she doesn't. It's just the wording. It's interesting. Well, words have meaning. Now I'm looking to see if I... I'm going to have to keep an eye out to see if she says that here as we go through this. So Mira then opens her big mouth and basically says that Violet's going to die. And she's not strong enough. And she's weak and she's frail and she's fragile. All kinds of stuff. And now Violet gets mad. I also get mad when Mira says, no, just dot, 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 fragile. Like, Mm -hmm. why today of all days would you be saying that to your sister? It's almost like she's trying to get in her head to make her doubt herself. Yeah. It just annoys me. No. Because, like, Violet Violet almost starts her nickname of violence here. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit with her fingernails biting into her palms she's like about ready to punch her <laughs> yeah fair that's fair <laughs> but then coming in clutch here strangely is Lilith Lilith says yeah. so she's small it's fine she deals with more pain before lunch than you do in an entire week if any of my children is capable of surviving the writer's quadrant it's her which is kind yeah. of a backhanded compliment in a way, to Mira? It's the only because... compliment that Violet receives in this chapter. is from her mother, the one that supposedly hates her so much. True. And also it says that Lilith almost kind of doubted maybe a smidge with Mira and Brennan. Mm. If you think about it. Yeah, maybe she knows more about what Mira and Brennan went through in the Riders' Quadrant than, than we do at this point. Yep, so Lilith has been... And we'll see throughout the rest of this chapter, honestly. Lilith is constantly being supportive of Violet in this. It, no, let, let's also be realistic here. Not in a warm and fuzzy way. No. <laughs> no, but she's also... But definitely supportive. She's, very, she's constantly saying, you can do this. And like, as I'm sure you'll get into at the end, sh- or... I'll get into actually at the end of my section here. She even tells her, I will see you at threshing mm-hmm. all the way down the road. So Mira then steps in it again by bringing up Brennan, supposedly the mother Lilith's favorite child. And as she does so, Lilith's signet kicks in, which shows it has kind of an emotional tie, actually, like an unconscious emotional tie. I've watched Encanto recently. Kind of reminds me of Peppa. The one with the, uh, she makes you know the weather with her emotions. Kind of reminds me of that. Because the temperature in the room plummets. Which is noted to be because of her storm-wielding signet power. She channels through her dragon. Amshir. Amshir. Thank you. I did not look up the pronunciation for that. Thank you. So, there is a real name in, a Welsh name that is, very, very similar to Amser, which is Welsh, so that kind of fits a little bit. That name means time, which is interesting. You'd think it'd be something weather-related. A definition that I found was weather, actually. Was it just weather, or was it something else? The weather. It means just in weather? Ga- in Gaelic, yeah. Okay, so there we go. That one's probably the right one. We then... Oh, wait, okay. Yep. Time epoch season so oh weather weather like it, it all yeah. kind of yeah fits. like the passing yeah yeah the seasons can mark time 
So that makes sense. Less time as in like seconds, more time mm-hmm. as in like the passage of time, I think. Yeah. Um, this also shows that her signet is kind of immediate. I know there's a theory out there about Lilith causing the storm when they're all on the parapet. Mm-hmm. I personally do not subscribe to that theory. Yeah. I think this here, I mean, granted, she was in an emotional state, but this right here, and then there'll be another piece of evidence later, disproves that theory. Um, we learned here Brenton's name. Um, I don't think that was mentioned yet. I did not look up Brennan's name meaning. Did you look up Brennan's name meaning? Um, teardrop sorrow. So there, you. there you go. Which is fitting in this context. I mean, it doesn't really hold water at the end of the book, but that's besides the fact. Uh, we learned that Brennan died five years ago. And so then for for following along, four years after that is when Mr. Sorengale dies. And it's noted that the chest pains started right after Brennan's death in Mr. Sorengale. Little sus. Just a, just a little bit. Just throwing that out there. Dad did not die of natural causes, just saying. Yeah, there's no way. No way. If he's actually dead. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we thought Brennan was dead. He's not. Just throwing that out there. We'll see when we get Iron Flame. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. It's also interesting to me that um, Lilith's words are soft puffs of steam in the frigid office. Like, that's how cold it is. You can, you can see your breath. Yeah. Like, it got cold and fast. That's crazy. And... Oh, and here, here she does say, so much like your father. Okay, so the words are the same. Using the same words for both children. Yeah, she does do that there. Yes, you're right. Um, at this, Mira actually listens to her mother when her mother tells her to get out lieutenant and it says Mira straightens her posture nods once and pivots with military precision and leaves definitely uh, not a happy reunion between those two but when she leaves I, that leaves go ahead I was just gonna say I suspect there's never really happy moments between Mira and their mother yeah I feel I feel like Lilith probably respects Mira for the job that she's done in the military, but I don't yeah. think there's any love lost there. Which Violet even notes that Lilith respects Mira. You know what I'm just thinking now about how they're saying that mo- their mom loved Brennan? Mm-hmm. And, but she she's like, okay with Mira. Like, I wonder if part of that love comes from knowing what Brennan is doing. Yeah, like, her heartbreak is more from knowing her son is out there and she can't contact or interact with him at all yeah this is a completely out there theory guys who knows but i just i just have trouble seeing lilith as the bad guy as of right now oh also it's mentioned that brennan's dragon died fighting if brennan's alive that means his dragon's alive Mm -hmm. where's his dragon it means his (laughs) dragon's alive or or somehow he survived without his dragon being alive or the bond was broken yeah or something happened he's discovered some kind of potion like who knows something i mean i'm assuming we'll find out in iron flame because we know from some snippets that were released that we do get more out of brennan this is the first time lilith and violet have been alone in months probably since she started training 
so probably six months, honestly. The temperature rises again as Lilith looks at Violet. She cares more for Violet than Violet thinks, honestly. Yeah. 100%. The, I mean... at the very Or at the very least, she can tr- control her emotions more around Violet than she can around Mira. Yeah. I think Mira and Lilith are too similar, and that's why they fight all the time. She Lilith then notes that Violet is extremely good and scored very high for speed and agility which comes into play a lot and she skims her this is interesting this is a very intimate moment it says that Lilith skims the backs of her fingers down my cheek barely grazing my skin that's a very intimate touch you know what I'm realizing here though Samantha she says so much like your father, but that isn't necessarily in reference to Mr. Sorengill. No, it's not. So my theory remains intact. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so funny if Iron Flame gets released on November 7th and then it's just in the first like five pages like, oh yeah, your father's alive. He's here, blah, blah, blah. It's actually your father. And then this, episode, this, episode, <laughs> this episode is just completely irrelevant. <laughs> that would be so crazy. <laughs> um... Although she does say all Sorengales do just fine. So if it's a matriarchal, then your your theory still stands. Um, Lilith notes she won't be able to talk to her for three years or acknowledge her. She says she knows. Lilith um, warns her that she's going to be a target um, because she's her daughter, which we learn later to be true because... Not even just because of her dragons, but because of the, the marked kids. Mm-hmm. Understandably are pissed at her because her mom killed their parents. It's not fair to blame children for the sins of their father, so to speak, as the saying goes. Which goes both ways. In it that. does. It does. And I did, I was in the middle of a reread. I did notice at the beginning of, I think it's chapter two, actually. Um, there is... No, it's not. There is a quote at the beginning of one of the chapters from Lilith basically denouncing the parents being killed in front of their children and the children being punished for their parents' crimes. Lilith was against all of that. Yes, 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 she was. But she didn't, she couldn't speak up because of Melgren's hire. She spoke out, but she wasn't able to change it. Because I think that was from, like, some letter or some thing. She she did, like, try to reach out to whoever, and I think Melgren, and say, like, this is wrong. So then after that, um, we see, we learn about um, how she's been training to, and so she's well aware that she's going to be a target. And this is where her mother gives her her last piece of support. Because she says, I guess I'll see you in the valley at Threshing. Though you'll be a cadet by sunset. Violet mentally thinks, or dead, and thinks that neither of us says it, but we don't really know that that's what her mother is thinking. As far as we know, based on what she has said, she fully believes that Violet's going to be fine. She has not said a single thing to anything negative about Violet. No. Like at all. No. And yet Violet still thinks that her mother doesn't like her or that she tolerates her, she says. And and Violet's coming from a place of, oh, my mother took me out of the scribe quadrant because I liked it and she doesn't want me to do something like that I like. And 
that I don't think that's where she's coming from at all. Like, I no. don't think that, I don't think that's why Lilith did that at all. I think we'll get more answers on that in Iron mm-hmm. Flame, but it, I don't think it was just because of that. So then Mira takes her back to her room, which has already been packed up in the last 30 minutes. Apparently, she decides to help Violet out. She asks her, she repacks her pack. She asks her what kind of weapons she's good with. And Violet says that she's pretty quick with daggers, notably lightning quick. First mention of lightning. Yes, I will say before this, Mira gets in another dig. You were never meant for the Riders Quadrant. Again, why? Yeah. Why say this? Why say all this before you know she has to go do something that's deadly? I just don't get it. No. And I th- I'm just going to say by the time we leave this room, everything Mira says after we leave this room is wrong. In the room, she's fine. After we leave, everything's wrong. Or at the very least, Violet just doesn't listen. Yeah, but the re- she doesn't listen for a reason, and she ends up being right to not listen. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, Mira gives her the new boots, which turned out to be life-saving. She gives her, um, she will eventually give her her corset with Tyne's, I believe it's pronounced that correctly, Tyne. It's Tanya. Tanya, I'm sorry. It's like C-H, Tanya. Tanya, okay. Yeah. Uh, she unpacks all of Violet's books. She also notes that rain clouds were moving in. Which to me is another sign. This is a naturally occurring storm. Yes, because as we just observed in General Sorengale's office, when she uses her power, it's like like that. Mm-hmm. Like so quick. This mm-hmm. is just coming in, rolling in, slowly picking up naturally. Also... There is a theory I think Kelsey mentioned last time about Mira turning out to be evil or not, maybe not evil, but against Violet. I just, I just think Mira is going to end up not on the right, not on the right side. I don't know why. I just get a vibe. Um, Violet notes that there is no trace of my older sister in the writer before me. This woman is shrewd, cunning, and a touch cruel. Yeah. It makes you wonder what she's been through in the last few years. Apparently she's been very good because she survived all three years with only one scar that she got from her own dragon during threshing. So mm-hmm. then we get to the point where Mira makes her leave the all important book. Violet finds a book about the venom that her father had given her and Mira makes her leave it. Yes. And Mira says, is it that old book of folklore about dark-wielding vermin and their wyvern? Like, is she purposely saying that wrong, or does she actually not know? This is where I, I get hung up. I don't know. There's a In that book, it mentions, Violet mentions that it's a collection of stories that warn us against the lure of magic and even mm-hmm. demonized dragons. Mm-hmm. Which makes you wonder, like... Are the dragons going to turn on them? Or are we going to learn more about why the dragons are doing what they're doing? So Violet leaves the book. She keeps one book about killing people. (laughs) Which is fun. Mira gets her dressed. She gives her the tunic, I think it is, with uh, China? China? China. 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 
I will get there. I apologize. Chinya's a scale sewn into it because she knows a person who can make things small and vice versa. And <laughs> Chinya means fire. At least that's the meaning that I found. That is also the meaning I found. Great. I believe we got it from the same place, but that's okay. Probably. Um, then Mira puts... Oh, another thing I just want to mention with uh, Violet leaving that book behind, it kind of reminds me of like a reverse of the Prisoner of As- Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban movie where Ron almost forgets to bring Scabbers with him. And his mom's like running after him with the chain to like get it. <laughs> Could you imagine what would happen if Scabbers had been left at the burrow? Or if, or if Harry hadn't brought that shard of the mirror with him in book seven. I know. There's like so many like quinces, but like this just kind of made me think of like a reverse of that where instead of almost forgetting to bring it, she almost forgot to, she was forced to leave. I don't know. It just kind of reminded me of that. Um, we also learn, I, I'm not sure who this is referring to. Uh, it's either Violet or Mira, but one of them has only slept with two people. I think that's Violet. That's what I thought too. But then, it, I don't know, I kind of second-guessed myself. I thought it was kind of funny though. And then Mira puts Violet's hair in a uh, coronet braid, which was also made famous by Nesta Archeron in Akatar. Violet then also kind of foreshadows, well... Before that, Mira tells her your brain is your best weapon and that she's the smartest person she knows. The first compliment from Mira. First compliment, yes. And also one that Violet really takes to heart and uses. When she first finds out that she's going to have to do the sparring, she mm-hmm. remembers that. And that's when she kind of gets the tips like, I should use these poisons or like learn about my appoint- opponent. Like, she uses both that from Mira and then also from Brennan. Like, what he wrote in his book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Book of Brennan. Um, Violet then also foreshadows in the Codex where she says, It's an executable offense to co- attack any cadet while sleeping. Not so, not so subtle foreshadowing. No. And then Mira says, That doesn't mean you're not safe at... That, bleh, that doesn't mean you're safe at night. Sleep in this if you can. So... After that, um, she says they kind of chat a little bit. Violet Mira gives her some advice. And she also states there's no such thing as cheating. There's only survival and death. Which reminds me of Game of Thrones. You win or you die. Mm-hmm. The bell chimes. They only have 30 minutes left. Violet says, I'm not going to die today. Which reminds me of Selena in uh, Throne of Glass. It also is very Game of Thrones. What do we say to the God of Death? Not today. Mm-hmm. And then so they go down to the field. Uh, Mira hugs Violet, tells her she loves her, and don't become another name of the death roll. She nods and then she says, let's go. Hi everyone, this is Kelsey hopping on really quickly to say that Samantha and I talked for a lot longer than we thought we would about chapter one, so we made the decision to split it into two parts. 
So part two of our chapter one discussion will be coming to you next Tuesday, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for listening. Bye. We would like to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of his song, The Pyre, for our intro and outro music. 